This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710-710. Hello and welcome aboard the Paul Gallant Show on this Wednesday, August 18th of 2021. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. We are about 23 hours after the Seahawks and Jamal Adams reached an agreement on a contract extension, four years, $70 million, could be worth up to $72 million, $38 million of it is guaranteed. My question for you today, load them up, 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line or tweet me at Galant says, are the Seahawks going to come to regret said contract? Are there going to be some sort of production expectations for him? We've seen him deliver on sacks, nine and a half sacks next year. I don't know if it's going to be quite that high. Does he need to bring interceptions to the table too now that he's signed this extension? And what would lead to this deal being a disaster or simply not working out? My reaction to the move, this thing was never in doubt for me. And imagine that, me actually preaching patience when it comes to anything in life. But I thought that this was always going to get worked out. It had to. Seahawks traded two first-round picks to get Jamal Adams. You trade two first-round picks, the odds of you letting that person walk are pretty low. Even if you're not necessarily going to get something substantial with a first-round pick, we overrate first-round picks. Most first-round picks don't end up being all pros or pro bowlers. It's like, I think as far as that goes, 30 to 40% end up being pro bowlers, around 10% get to first-team all-pro. Some of these guys don't even make it through the entirety of their first contract with the team. They get traded. The fifth-year option doesn't get picked up. So those first-round picks can be overrated, but that was the price that the Seahawks had to give up to get Jamal Adams. And yeah, they overpaid. They did. Can't deny that. And they probably are when it comes to this contract. Giving him a little bit more than you would expect a safety that's not that good in coverage to get. But I don't really think he's a safety. We'll get to that, more on that, in a moment and why I feel like the way that the contract is structured, it does make sense, even if he is getting a whole lot of money. But this deal was never in doubt to me. He's still, Jamal Adams, I think, in the honeymoon phase being with the Seahawks. And Pete Carroll is the perfect kind of personality to have as a figurehead for this organization to make sure that things don't get too heated or exasperated as Mike Florio painted the picture Pete Carroll said from the moment we traded Adams it was a plan to get this contract extension done I I think this is really uh, significant in that the statement that that we made a long time ago uh, when John you know sought out getting you know making contact and going after him was a big commitment then you know we did big commitment in picks and all of that but the, the thing I really like about this now that it comes through and we, we get to this point is this, this was the plan the whole time, was to, was to go after a great football player, get him in the program, pay what you got to pay to get it done in terms of, of draft picks, uh, and, and then knowing that we were going to redo a contract. And it took a while to get it done, but, you know, it, it's over now. Pete Carroll liked him. John Schneider found a way to get him. Now he's in the fold, and things I don't think were as contentious as they were portrayed to be. I think wishfully by those who are in the New York media, specifically those on the Jets beat. I think a lot of people who don't like the Seahawks also sort of look at it in that same light. And of course, we saw it from some websites like Pro Football Talk, amongst others, 
who seemed to be pushing this idea that things were getting to a point of no return, even though we had almost a month until the start of the regular season. Jamal Adams was asked if he would have potentially missed games this year, and here's what he had to say to that. Man, <laughs> hell no, man. I'm not booba the fool, man. I'm, I, I wasn't not going to take the contract, man, so no. Um, you know, where I'm from, man, we, we're definitely taking that, man. Mom called. Um, she called twice. Um, and when mom called and she told me that I needed to take the contract, it was, no, it, was, it was a no-brainer. So mama knows best. Adams is an enthusiastic person to a point where sometimes you're like, whoa, relax. But that's his actual personality. He has been portrayed by some as a diva. He has been portrayed by some, by some as a malcontent. Some have described him a cancer based off of the way that he operated in New York. Long story as to why things unfolded the way that they did in New York. But whatever the case, I think he's happy here. And I think that there was not a chance that he was going to miss games. And then you heard it there. His mom is the one who's stepping in and saying, Jamal, look at that money on the table. It's a lot. Are we really going to quibble over a couple extra million dollars? Which seemed like they were thrown in at the very end. Because that contract, it's worth up to $72 million. Which on an annual basis, Bobby Wagner in the midst of a three-year $54 million contract, on an annual basis would be, if Adams is able to get every single penny out of said contract, going to give him on an average the exact same $18 million a year that Bobby Wagner's getting. And that lends us into another conversation. I've said this before. Jamal Adams is the Seahawks' most valuable defensive player. Bobby Wagner is still a good player, but Adams is more valuable to this defense now. So it makes sense that he's being paid nearly as much as Bobby Wagner and that his cap hit, interestingly, increases when Bobby Wagner's contract may be off the books if you take a look at that deal that was put together. Why is that the case? It's not just the production that Jamal Adams had specifically as a pass rusher, a blitzer, his tackling ability too. It's also because of this extra quality that he brings that I don't know Bobby Wagner quite has. No, yeah, that's that was a it's, that was really kind of the theme for last year. That wherever you were playing, you had to generate your own support and your own juice and, and energy. And and he's one of those guys. I mean, what I don't know that our fans realized last year is how he played hurt and played one armed for a number of games when the shoulder was bad. And uh, if you're at the stadium, you probably could see that more clearly, you know. But the toughness that he demonstrated and the grit and all the, all the beautiful aspects that he he you know he he put forth was. Uh, our fans, I think, will come to understand that and appreciate him. I think he, he's really something. Torn labrum, broken fingers, groin injury, too. He played through a lot last year. 12 games, all things considered. He played in that playoff game against the Rams with a torn labrum. And you could see that torn labrum. The pass on the left sideline that he looked like he could perhaps have jumped. He was a little underneath it. The, the play downfield to Cooper Cup. There's another play where he looked like he might have had an open field tackle. I still thought he had a pretty good game, all things considered, because you could tell his shoulder was messed up when he got injured in that game against the San Francisco 49ers at the end of the year. You saw him on the sideline, and I mean, he looked like, he looked like someone had died. You know, he, he looked just so devastated by said injury. And it was because, look, he's going to make it to the playoffs for the first time, and he's not even going to be 100% in his first game. Adams has an energy to him that Bobby Wagner does not. And that's nothing against Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner is just not the kind of guy who is running around super energetic, getting everybody worked up, you know? I think Wagner's one of the more quiet leaders. He leads by example. 
every now and then maybe there's a moment in practice where he's calling guys out in a, I think a well-deserved, a merited way. But that's that's how he operates. A lot more quiet, a lot more measured. Adams is different, and that juice that he brought to the table last year was a big part of why he was so valuable to the team. And, look, I don't know if I was going to go so far as to describe Jamal Adams the way that I believe he perhaps may have described himself in contract negotiations with the team. There is a point to be made that he's just different when it comes to defensive players across this league. Here's Jamal. Excuse me, here's Pete. Anyway, Pete Carroll essentially had been told in contract negotiations that Jamal Adams is a unicorn of sorts. Here we go. Here it is. Well, the, the term unicorn came up during the negotiations. I don't know if, that, if that's what you're getting at, but uh, he, he's, a, he's a rare player, and he, he can do a lot of stuff. You know, we'll, we'll see how it all comes together. So it's, it's one of those things where you hear that? A little bit of a stretch, right? A unicorn? We found out today that uh, I guess unicorns are the national animal of uh, Scotland, which is also interesting because it's not real. But Adams is different. He is a safety that plays a lot like a linebacker. He is a super fast linebacker, undersized. Maybe there's a little bit more potential for injury there. I think he is worth the kind of money that someone like Bobby Wagner's getting paid or someone like Darius Leonard is getting paid. And if you actually compare the production of the three of those guys, I mean, it, it, it actually checks out. Now, maybe from a total sta- a tackle standpoint, okay, Darius Leonard, who had 132 in 14 games, Fred Warner, who had 125 in 16 games, Bobby Wagner, who had 138 in 16 games, okay, maybe, maybe that gives those guys a leg up. But Jamal Adams, in 12 games with 83 combined tackles, had more tackles for a loss than Leonard, Warner, and Wagner, had obviously nine and a half sacks, which is three times the sacks that those other guys had. He had 14 quarterback hits. Bobby Wagner's the second there. He had a forced fumble. It's not like the other guys were forcing a ton of fumbles out there or recovering a bunch of fumbles either. The other guys, the linebackers, a little bit better in pass coverage. More deflected passes, more interceptions. Not a lot of interceptions, though, between the four of those guys. Adams is comparable to them. So that's why that contract, I think, for Jamal Adams is worth it. And it makes sense because, as I laid out a little bit earlier, as Bobby Wagner's contract comes off the books, Adams' cap hit gets a little bit bigger. Assuming he is here for the entirety of said deal, that is something that I imagine is going to imply that and reflect that he is the centerpiece of Seattle's defense going forward. Question of the day on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. Will the Seahawks come to regret the Jamal Adams contract? If so, why? If not, why not? By the way, the Eagles are coming to Seattle this November. And they just announced a second Seattle performance for their Hotel California 2021 tour. So stay tuned to win two tickets to see the Eagles perform at Climate Pledge Arena on Saturday, November 6th. Tickets for this new performance go on sale this Friday at 10 a.m. at Ticketmaster.com. The winner is subject to any venue safety requirements. This hour of the Paul Gallant Show is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. It's time for What's Trending, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air with Maura Dooley. What's going on, Maura? You're late. I know. Just kidding. I am though. I'm very <laughs> late. I'm looking at the clock and I was like, oh god, it is not ten fifty it is not ten ten. It's almost ten fifteen. That's fine. So we'll we'll get right into what's trending. Uh first up the Mariners win another low scoring game, three one over the Rangers, and make up a game in the wild card race. Yeah, the wild card race is interesting right now, and man, I, I flip flop so much on this team. I really do. I think they can catch Oakland. 
Oakland has lost three in a row. But if you take a look at the AOS, the Astros have lost nine of 14. I, I don't think the division is something that they're going to have, win, but they play the Astros and the A's a lot in the coming games. Boston, meanwhile, is falling apart completely. They had a 10.5 game lead on New York in the wild card six weeks ago. It is gone. New York overtook it yesterday with a doubleheader sweep against the Red Sox. So Boston's free-falling. Oakland's not playing so well. Houston's not playing so well. You just took 2-3 or three from Toronto. The Yankees are the one team that looks like they're thriving in this wild card race. Three teams, Boston, New York, and Oakland, are essentially tied in that wild card spot. We're talking about a .001 percentage point difference. I think right now as things stand that uh, Boston is the odd team out. Toronto and Seattle are four games back of that little trio with Seattle .001 games, <laughs> .001 percentage points behind Toronto. It's getting interesting. Tyler Anderson has pitched five-plus innings in every single start that he has made in the majors this season. That's impressive consistency, especially when we're talking about a fifth starter. And while things got a little dicey with uh, Diego Castillo in the eighth inning, he had a nice double play with J.P. Crawford. Luis Torrens had the insurance home run. I wish these games against the South Oklahoma Rangers would be a little bit easier. And I call them South Oklahoma because people from Dallas believe that they live in Los Angeles, even though they live in the middle of a dust bowl. And there's a bunch of $30,000 millionaires across the city. And the team doesn't even play in Dallas. They play in Arlington, which is like a Walmart parking lot. So uh, things that need to be brought up about Texas. I would like those games to be a little easier. I'll take the win, though, especially after they lost two or three after blowing all those leads against Texas not too long ago. What else we got, Mora? little personal grudges against teams. Well, see, Dallas' is thing. It is Dallas is like, <laughs> I lived in Houston. We hate Dallas. Okay. Uh, well, we got some good news outside of Jamal Adams' deal yesterday as Dwayne Eskridge returned to practice, but we also heard something that's a bit concerning on Marquise Blair. He's, uh, is it the same knee? Marquise Blair, the same yes. knee that he... Yeah, yeah. What, yeah. what happened? He's, just got, he's got some soreness that we're just trying to make our way through. Um and it's it's a soreness in the kneecap that's not not part of the structure of, of it, but it's it's just we we just don't want to push him to a point where it gets nagging and, and, and you know it's a chronic deal. So we're going to wait wait him out a little bit. And he dealt with a chronic deal last year with Quinton Dunbar and his knee. Sinks for Blair. We like Blair a lot. We had him on the show, and we're hoping for the best for him as he tries to come back from that knee injury. Which, by the way, I mean it's it's still less than a year removed from said injury. So you got to manage this as carefully as you possibly can. It is not the worst thing in the world, though, because Ugo Amadi, I think, is capable. I think he can play in that position. I don't think he is a a, a big step back from Blair. I, I feel like they are actually two comparable players. They are just different, different skill sets. Blair is someone who can really lay people out. He's a great tackler, a great hitter. Amadi is fast, quick. And I think that the difference between those two is actually a tool that Seattle can use over the course of the season and put those guys in both a lot over the course of the year. Amadi's also getting some looks at safety, too. But it stinks for Blair, and hopefully he's going to be okay. This is the Paul Gallant Show. Maura Dooley with What's Trending, brought to you by King's Heating and Air every single mid-morning, morning-afternoon at about 10, 10 or so. 
Brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. Excuse me. Brought to you by Kings Heating and Air. But this hour of the Paul Galan Show is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. Okay. 206-421-3776 to call in to text in 2710710 on the back of Jack's Brewing Company text line. Do you think the Seahawks are going to come to regret the Jamal Adams deal? Your chance to be heard is right now. Your voice, your opinions. It's time to be heard. Every day at 1015 with Paul Gallant. Be heard. We're going to talk to Hawk Blogger, also known as Brian Nemhauser, in the sports pit at 1030 about the contract and some other things that we've been observing from the Seahawks over the last couple of days or so. Text in. No, the Seahawks will not regret the Adams contract. First, what strong safety has recorded five or more interceptions? Off the top of my head, I can't think of one. Two, he's a proven pass rusher as being an exceptional in-the-box safety. And we did see him play well in coverage when he was out there, but a busted shoulder and broken fingers had something to do with his lack of pass deflections and interceptions. Here's the other thing, too. He had good moments of coverage in New York specifically against tight ends. Like, there is film of him actually being good in that role. There's film of him looking bad. Julian Edelman, Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs. Like, there have been some bad moments for the guy, too. I'm not going to act like he's a great cover guy. He's sensitive to that. He doesn't like being called Blitz Boy, either. He's really good at blitzing, though. And he is somebody that, over, I think, the first eight yards of your defense from sideline to sideline can make a play at any moment. He is the kind of person that you want to have in the middle of your defense, just flying all over the place. And I saw it yesterday. I mean, early on in training camp practice, there was a play where the Seahawks threw to a tight end. I don't know who it was. I think it was Gerald Everett. And Adams just came flying up to the ball. He's got these short shorts on. He's got these super tree trunk quads. And he looked like he was going to absolutely murder the guy. But he ducked out of the way at the last minute. And he's running so fast, he jumps and he does like a pirouette in the air. I saw that, I got jacked up. I was like, okay, yep, he's he he is totally 100% right now. And look, it's a well, short... Well, was like, uh, he did a little more than we were expecting today. Like, he's like, tone it down, please. Yes, yeah, you and you could get that vibe more, 100%. Like, you could tell he was jacked up to be back out there. But that's who he is, and that's what's great about him. Yeah, in coverage, not the best. But to that texter's point, there seems to be this idea that as a safety, you must be both a free and strong safety to get paid. And I just look at if if linebackers are getting paid the kind of contracts that Fred Warner and Darius Leonard are getting or that Bobby Wagner got, well, what's the difference in giving it to someone like Jamal Adams? Like, what's the difference in skill set? Are we talking about size? Is, is that legitimately it? Like, production-wise, we're talking about similar output. Impact-wise, we're talking about similar kind of players. They're all over the field at all times. It makes sense. Now, having two guys on your defense that you're paying north of $17 million a year for, okay, that's something that potentially could be dangerous. But if you take a look at the contract structure for the Seahawks, it, this looks like one of those deals, too, where if things hit the fan they're not going to have a difficult time getting out from underneath it after the first couple of years of a contract. And, and generally, when you look at a contract, look at the guaranteed number, at least when you first see it, compare it to the total number. $38 million with $70 million. Okay, so it's a little over half, right? It's a four-year deal. I think the safe assumption is 
just generally based off the way these contracts work. Even if the cap hits over 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 time are 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 higher as you go further and further into it, that generally means that the first couple of years of the contract, there's going to be a lot of money put out there then, guaranteed money. But the last two years of the contract, you might be able to cut the guy, say things don't work out so well, without being in some sort of terrible financial situation. It's not going to be ideal because this cap, it, it balloons quite significantly, but it also sort of coincides with not just Bobby Wagner's contract potentially being off the books, but also maybe, maybe the end of the Russell Wilson era. I'm Paul Gallant, 710-710. Paul, I'm hearing you on the radio, not live stream, so I can't see whatever foolish shirt you're wearing. I'll just assume that it's mock-worthy. Excuse me, sir. I am wearing a Teal Mariner shirt. Teal power, 11-1, baby. They won again in Teal. And if you hate Mariner's Teal, then honestly, you should go to jail. Maybe that's extreme. I don't like you, though. Go Teal. Coming up next, Brian Nemhauser, Hawk Blogger, is going to join me in the sports pit. What does he think about the Jamal Adams contract and what he saw Saturday night in the Seahawks preseason opener? We'll talk about that and more. Don't go anywhere. It's 1030, and that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some freaking toughness, you're going to get your, you're going you're gonna to fail. With Paul Gallant. Before we get into some more Seahawks talk, take it easy, because as you heard, the Eagles are coming to Seattle this November, and they just announced the second Seattle performance for their Hotel California 2021 tour. Be the first caller right now at 206-421-3776 or 866-979-3776 to win two tickets to see the Eagles perform at Climate Pledge Arena, lame name, on Saturday, November 6th. Tickets for this new performance go on sale this Friday at 10 a.m. Ticketmaster.com. Winner is subject to any venue safety requirements. And yes, we're, we're giving these away, even though Don Henley uh, had the song Dirty Laundry, which is just absolute garbage track. Joining me right now, not garbage, he is fantastic. You can check him out on the Real Hawk Talk podcast on YouTube, hawkblogger.com, the one, the only Hawk Blogger. It is Brian Nemhauser. Brian, what's going on, buddy? Oh, man, you got me uh, so confused. I was like, the Eagles are coming to Seattle? Did they change the NFL schedule? So I would I'm love the Eagles that this year with Jalen Hurts on, under center, although... You know, we don't really know what to expect out of the Seahawks defense this season. The cornerback position is one that's definitely interesting. But let's focus on the big news du jour, Brian. The Seahawks, they extend Jamal Adams four years, $70 million, $38 million guaranteed. Could be worth up to $72 million, which would put him on par with Bobby Wagner as far as an annual salary. What did you make of the deal? To me, it's one that had to happen, and I never really was that nervous it wasn't going to get done. Yeah, you and me are in the same boat on that, Paul. I think this, this deal was uh, always going to happen. Um, I think that there was, uh, you know, if anything, I think the agent was probably the most stressed out about this because <laughs> I think Jamal Adams uh, did not have a great poker face in, in all this. As, as much as Jamal really believes in himself, Jamal wants to play for Seattle. He's seen what a terrible organization uh, looks like and what it feels like in New York, and he's now seen what – uh, one that is, you know, a consistent championship contending team with a great ownership and great leaders and great culture is, and uh, that really values him. And so I, I think he always wanted to be here. I think he handled himself uh, wonderfully through the process. And, you know, he got a great deal. Um, he's really, really well paid. And now he can just go out there and I think flourish. I think we're going to see the best 
of Jamal Adams, and, and that's a pretty exciting concept because he's been dang good uh, so far in his career. Even when he's been banged up, a texture brought up an interesting point. If the Seahawks get consistent pressure from their front four, a la 2013, where does that leave Adams? That is interesting because I do think that their defensive line is a little bit better going into the season. I'm not exactly the biggest Jaron Reed guy, so maybe that's why I'm looking at it from that perspective. But I, I'm with you from this perspective is, hey, look, this is a guy who last year was incredibly productive for you and seems like he's the obvious choice to be the centerpiece of your defense in a post-Bobby Wagner world. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this guy, I mean, he's 25 years old. He's already been an All-Pro. He was a second-team All-Pro last year while he was hurt, um, didn't have a preseason. Um, and I don't know if you've listened to Ken Norton Jr. on this, but he admitted that that lack of preseason also affected the way that they utilized Jamal Adams. That They blitzed him a lot more often because he didn't get as much time to get familiar with the coverages and all those pieces. And now he's got that time. He's healthy. And there's a narrative in Seattle that's just false. It's just false that he is just a blitzer. He's just a glory. He's like really a linebacker playing safety, and he can't cover. You look at his coverage grades uh, on a site like Pro Football Focus, which has pros and cons, but at least it's a, a somewhat objective measure across players. This guy was the sixth ranked, I think the seventh ranked safety in coverage the year before he came to Seattle. He was the third ranked safety in coverage the year before that, he was ranking ahead of guys like Earl and the Honey Badger and um, plenty of other players that, you know, Quandre Diggs even. So I think this is one of the few players in the NFL that can do everything well and can take over a game. So uh, he's a true blue chipper, and the Seahawks are incredibly fortunate to have him um, during his prime. Brian Emhauser, at Hawk Blogger, with me right now in the sports pit. I'm with you in that if you looked, too, at the tape of him in New York, there's a game against the Dallas Cowboys where I thought he provided fantastic coverage against tight ends. If you're not asking him to do something that's outside of his comfort zone, then I feel like you're probably going to get a plus performance from him in coverage. There are a couple of examples last year I think you can focus on and and, and freak out about, whether it's Julian Edelman's big game, the game where Quandre Diggs gets ejected and Jamal Adams had, I think, extra responsibilities put on his plate, or maybe it's the game against the Bills, or that one play where Stephon Diggs turns him around. I think there was a bad play against Cole Beasley. Or maybe you go to the playoffs where he's got the torn labrum, and he can't make the play against Cooper Cup on that jump ball. Maybe those are all excuses that I'm making for Jamal Adams, but I'm with you in that this idea that he can't do any of those things at the second level in pass defense it feels like there's no way that he would have been a top 10 pick in the NFL draft if he had zero ability to do any of those things. Yeah, and that's, I mean, the, the trade will, will I, I completely agree with you, Paul, and, and the trade will always be scrutinized, and for good reason. Giving up two first-round picks and a third-round pick is a lot to give up, and, and that should be scrutinized you know, by any uh, fan who wants their, their roster to be developed, but... Look, you didn't trade for, first of all, two late, round, two late first round picks to get the sixth overall pick, which is where I think Jamal was taken. Uh, you know, that's pretty comparable um, value. And then you're not only trading for the sixth pick, you're actually trading for a guy that's already proven he is great. So you get a sixth pick, you, you're picking a guy that could end up being a bust. 
Yeah. They traded for a guy who's a known quantity, and even in a year where he was hurt, didn't get a preseason, was adjusting along the way, he broke the NFL record for sacks for a defensive back and uh, was a second-team All-Pro. So I think we're just scratching the surface. I think the greatest game tape to watch of Jamal is the first game of last year against Atlanta. He was making plays at every level of the defense. He was all over the field. I think that's the kind of player he can be for this team. I look at first-round picks the same way I think you do. I mean, look, there's value in having a first-round pick, but the reality of a first-round pick, the average one's going to start 80% of the games that they play. They're likely going to have their fifth-year option picked up, but it's like 61% of the time. 40% of them get long-term deals. 21 or so percent of them get traded. But when it comes to the actual accolades, we're talking like 39% getting into the Pro Bowl, 15% in a second-team All-Pro, 13% getting a first-team All-Pro. Like, the odds of you finding that guy with any of those first-round picks that maybe has the same kind of impact as Jamal Adams, they're not very high. It's not to say that it's not possible, but I think there's a lot of pressure right now on the Jets and Joe Douglas to actually make good with those picks that they now got from Seattle. I mean, we've seen some of those teams that have gotten big-time draft hauls for trading out of specific draft spots. Um, maybe we could point at the Rams, or we could we could point at... Um, uh, who was it? Was it Tennessee who got those picks? That draft hall for uh, Philadelphia trading up, or whoever it was. Whatever the case, like sometimes these trades don't work out, even though in principle they look like they're the gr- these great halls because everyone puts so much into the idea of what a first round pick can be. A hundred percent. And 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 if you actually, I've done some research on this, and I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but if you break down the first round even more to the first fifteen picks versus the last, uh, the the bottom half of the round those numbers you talk about change even more drastically. And you look at the Hall of Fame and the amount of players that have made the Hall of Fame in the first 10 or 15 picks versus the back half. It's crazy um, how, how much the top of the draft is different than the rest of the draft. And you hear every year GMs say there's really only 15 to 20 guys that we have first-round grades on. So you're almost really picking in the second round when you're in the bottom of the first round. So Anyway, I think that's not the news of the day. I think the news of the day certainly is the Seahawks not only got a great player, they got a great leader. This is a guy who's got swagger. And the fans that remember the the great Seahawks defenses when Pete Carroll started, part of it was having great talent. Part of it was just having that, that dog attitude that they were going to bring it. And I love that Jamal Adams yesterday was already talking about the Rams. And he's already talking about winning championships. And he absolutely has a chip on his shoulder to prove that he's worth this deal. And so, um, you know, I I think it's a great, great moment um, for the front office to be able to pull this off. I think they got a pretty good deal done with him um, relative to to what it could have been. And and now they got to turn their attention to some of the other players that that they need to get in uh, and and suit it up. He is Brian Nemhauser at, Hawk blogger, and you got to check out the YouTube channel because I, I really like the idea that you guys had of you know watching along with the uh, Seahawks and Raiders game on Saturday, especially as we get into the preseason. It's usually a bit of a difficult watch, so it's always nice to be able to watch it with some friends. So check out at Hawk blogger RHT on YouTube as well. Brian, thank you so much, man. We'll do it again. That was great talking to you, Paul. Have a great day. That is Brian Nemhauser at Hawk blogger. Question of the day: Are the Seahawks going to come to regret? the contract that they just gave to Jamal Adams. Do you have any questions about it? Is he as valuable as Bobby Wagner defensively? All of those questions on the table. It's the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. It wraps up after this. 
You're listening to Paul Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Y'all are on something today. 710-710, Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. In response to a question inspired by the Jamal Adams contract yesterday with the mindset of, I don't know, creating a discussion about some of the risks, pitfalls. Because I think we're all happy about the contract. I'm happy about the contract. And the idea that I had was that if you have any reservations or issues with it, I'm going to talk you off the ledge. The question, will the Seahawks come to regret the Jamal Adams contract? But goodness gracious, you people. Interesting how you frame that question. Should we regret every decision a team makes? You're asking for every negative comment available. Another whack topic. Why would any real fan want to talk about a player just signing being a possible regret? Because that's that's how sports work. And you should be critical of your team. And you should be enthusiastic towards your team. There's a balance. You're holding them accountable. Unless you want to be walked all over by them. The text continues. Objective negativity. I get it. That's how you roll. Not feeling it. This topic sucks. Okay, well, it didn't say it as much as John Clayton said it this morning, which I found to be amusing when he was talking about one Josh Rosen. But goodness gracious, people. Just asking for things that you might see as potential issues here. I don't see many. I really don't. I think from a production standpoint, you're going to get similar to what you see out of guys like Fred Warner, Darius Leonard, linebacker-esque numbers, lots of tackles, maybe less sacks this year. The hope is that the pass rush can be something that exists without the help of a blitz. Carlos Dunlap being here for the full season, Kerry Hyder being brought into the mix. Those guys, I feel like, could make the pass rush a little bit better than it was last year. Daryl Taylor, don't know what to expect. Still think he's rather raw. Hasn't played a whole lot. So Matt might be a guy that, as the season progresses, you see more out of. Jordan Brooks is somebody at that second level that you're expecting a lot out of, too. And Bobby Wagner's still in the mix. Uh, Someone had asked about the linebacker depth here. What's interesting is that having Jamal Adams is like having extra linebacker depth. It's not like you're going to put him at linebacker, but it's another guy that helps out all those other players over the middle of your defense. And maybe Nick Nick Ballor is going to be able to factor it or something like that. Cody Barden, Ben Burkirvin. I'm not exactly thrilled about what's at linebacker after Wagner, Brooks, but those top two that you have, they're pretty good. Hopefully everyone stays healthy over the course of the year. Brittany has this text in response to the question of the day. It depends on how you frame it. I don't think they'll regret it because what they, wa- what they want out of this deal is probably excellence the first two years. Solid starter in year three. Maybe they cut him in year four. So if he performs the first two years, no. And that is an interesting part about this. I mean, down the road, that's a big cap hit to the point where I, I wonder if the Seahawks maybe think long and hard about him actually playing the entirety of this contract out if there's no guaranteed money. That said, I mean, he's still going to be young. He's still going to be in his 20s. So by the end of this deal, we're talking about a guy that is still, hopefully, in his prime. The question is just, is he going to suffer more injuries? Uh, some texts that have nothing to do with the question of the day. I agree that Jamal Adams is not a true safety. He is an impact player. It will add to the overall, yet our cornerback weakness will require a superior safety play for third down efficiency and to stop plays over the top. So Quandre Diggs is your guy over the top. In the intermediate, I really do wonder with Adams. He has some really, I think, impressive closing speed that you see when he is in pursuit. Is he going to be able to bring that to coverage? And I really want to go back to that play where he jumped, he jumped an out route against the Rams. 
What happens if he can actually lift his shoulder? Because it doesn't seem like he could. He was in the right place. He just he just wasn't able to move the arm. What happens there? Now, it might have bounced off his hands because he had some hand issues also. He had some broken fingers. And he had a couple, I think, bounce off of his hands too this season. So that's something else that you know you want to see a little bit more out of. But I am of agreement of the agreement. Uh, I am in agreement <laughs> with the idea about the cornerback weakness. I am a little concerned about just the totality of depth that Seattle has there. You know, what's Akilah Weatherspoon going to bring to the table? Is Akilah Weatherspoon even going to be your starting cornerback? Optimally, I think he's the guy that you put on the left side. I think DJ Reed's over on the right. Is Akella Witherspoon going to be able to give you the kind of play that Shaquille Griffin was able to? And, I mean, that's good play. Above average play. Not a liability play. But is he someone that's going to come up and run support? Is he someone that's explosive, flies to the football? Is he somebody that makes plays on the ball? It's the first preseason game of the year. I'm overreacting a little bit. But I think in that first preseason game, there was some, I think, play to be desired that you didn't quite get out of Witherspoon in that one. So, just something I'm thinking about. It's the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. I'm Paul Gallant, 710-710 on the Mac and Jacks Brewing Company text line. I have no confidence our defense will be above 16th in the league. I don't know where they're going to finish, and I know this is a wishy-washy kind of answer, but given the way that the defense played against some ham sandwich quarterbacks and Kyler Murray with a busted shoulder, so he was like a moldy sandwich, I suppose. But like a good sandwich, it was just moldy, which I guess you could still eat, but are you thrilled about eating it? Maura's shaking her head. Well, I mean, have you never eaten moldy? Eating penicillin or something. Yeah, I guess so. That, that, that Are you is... asking if I've ever eaten moldy bread on purpose? Well, yeah, accidentally, I mean. I mean, no one eats it on purpose. When you see it, generally, you're like, oh, this is gross. <laughs> Ew. But sometimes, yes, you don't I know. Yes, I have taken a bite into a sand- like, and then realized there was mold. That's, yeah. The worst is when it's that white mold, and you can't quite see it. And then you see it after the fact, and you're like, oh, well, yeah. YOLO. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know where they're going to end up, ultimately. Uh, text in, seven ten seven ten. Enjoy listening to 50 hours per week talking about meaningless preseason losses and inevitable contract extensions instead of the most exciting baseball team in years. Decades. Keep it up. Well, they played the Rangers last night. When we get into the Mariners actually playing against the big boys, fine. You know what the take from last night's Mariners game should be? Legitimately this. They're supposed to win. They did? Cool. That's Paul Gallant on the Seattle Mariners Performance on August 17th, a Tuesday in the year of our Lord, 2021. You're welcome. Analysis you can't get anywhere else. I'm Paul Galan. This has been the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. Maura Dooley makes this thing happen every single day. Big thanks to Hawk blogger Brian Nemhauser, who stopped by earlier. Great follow during Seahawks season. I am merely Paul Galan. So long, farewell. Jake and Stacy live from Seahawks training camp presented by Precore Home Fitness is next.